What's up, everything? In the past week, the Blues have won one and lost one, and we'll talk about each one in turn. On top of that, we'll bring back the segment Butt Hurt or Not Butt Hurt to talk about the standings as December begins, and we'll also celebrate the Hall of Fame career of Paul Correa, as well as discussing other Blues and League news. We've got a ton to get to, so let's get started, and let's go Blues! Welcome back, everybody. This is the Two Guys No Cup podcast. We've just finished an exciting round of HQ trivia on my phone, which we lost on, like, question nine. Uh, did you know that Bloomsday is an Irish holiday that celebrates James Joyce's Ulysses? Because we sure did no not. No one knows that. Uh, my name is Stephen Ground. I'm here with Ian Peters. Besides learning that factoid, how are you doing this <laughs> evening? I'm doing better now that I cooled off from yesterday's horrendous loss. Oh, yes, which you had to go to in person. Yeah, as I texted Most you, I couldn't lucky change, enough to the just change the channel. <laughs> I had to be there. But you did actually leave early, which is fairly unlike you. So I really didn't think they were going to come back. And they didn't. The so. good news is they did not. Uh, although Kyle Brodziak tried to ruin everything. Um, yeah, so we have two games this week. One happy one against the, uh, not the Oilers, who was it? Who was it? The Wild. And one sad one against the uh, Ducks. And we will get to those in due turn, but we've actually got a lot to cover before that because since it was a lighter week on games, we have some segments we wanted to discuss. Uh, The first thing, though, we'll quickly, briefly touch on some news that broke this morning, uh, which was a fairly big trade involving the team that defeated us last night. Uh, The Anaheim Ducks sent uh, Sammy Vatanen, one of their young, uh, many young and (laughs) underperforming defensemen, uh, and a conditional pick to the New Jersey Devils to receive Adam Henrique, uh, Joseph Blandese, and a 2018 third-round pick. Uh, this was kind of interesting timing right after the Blues game, although that's more coincidence than anything. Uh, what do you think about this trade, Ian? What are your initial reactions? I thought Adam Henrique was a better player mm-hmm. than what it appears he is, just because he's part of a package and Sammy Vatanen's just being traded as Sammy Vatanen. Yeah, but I think I think uh, New yeah. Jersey got the better of the deal. I think they're a team that's young. And has a pretty good forward group, mm-hmm. but has a little, an older, I guess, an older slash young and experienced group of defensemen. Mm-hmm. And Sammy Vatnin kind of slots into that kind of middle, in the middle of like prime years or mm-hmm. getting those prime years. And I think that's somebody they needed. I don't know who their top pairing is. I don't think he'll be there, but he's definitely going to play on like their second pairing. Yeah. And I think it helps them a lot for a team that's young and kind of up and coming, like you mentioned. Uh, before we got on and recorded, that it's just kind of weird seeing a player go from the Ducks to the Devils and thinking the guy that's going to the Devils, like Vatnin, is getting the better shake of it. Yeah. You would think it'd be the other way around. Yeah. First, for him to get that news, there's got to be part of him that originally is like, huh? And then it's like, oh. That's right. The Devils are good. (laughs) Weirdly this year. Uh, Yeah. So it looks like 
their lines as they're uh, projected right now that Sammy Vatnam will be um, slotted alongside Will Butcher, who's the uh, young Holby Baker winner that uh, mm. they signed as a college free agent. Um, and that'll be their second pairing behind Andy Green and Steven Santini. Uh, I agree with you that I feel like the Devils did really well in this trade. Um, I think both players kind of needed a change of scenery. Uh, Adam Henrique is a player who had a really terrific rookie season as a Devil. Um, He was drafted 82nd overall in 2008, and he had his career high in points uh, as a rookie with 51, although he did return to, I think, 50 or 49 uh, a few years later. Um, He's got two years and $4 million remaining on his deal, whereas Vatanen currently has two years and $4.8 million remaining on his deal, so that's mostly a wash. And in fact, uh, Joseph Blandese going back may be part of the equaling out of that money, although I don't know what the um, devil's cap situation is right offhand. Um, I do think, yeah, I think it's okay for both teams. I definitely don't think one uh, stole anything from the other. Um, But we had, this is just kind of ironic, and it's not really relevant necessarily, but we'd seen a few weeks ago a post on the Blues subreddit uh, from a Devils fan who was basically like, hey, you guys have uh, Jordan Schmaltz kicking around the AHL. Uh, what do you guys think of a Jordan Schmaltz for Adam Henrique oh, trade? Oh, I forgot about that. And I think a lot of people, including myself, and I think you at the time commented, or I didn't comment, but just kind of thought, uh, it feels like we'd be trade raping you guys. <laughs> and I think this this is kind of a reflection that, no, that actually wouldn't have been. That would have never been. As much, you know. So uh, I think it's pretty fair for both teams. I think it's good for both players uh, to get a change of scenery, and it'll be interesting to see how um, how each player does in their new home. Vatanen was 106th overall pick in 2009. So both later picks, but obviously have had a lot of NHL success uh, between all of them. Um, what do you think? Do you have any more thoughts on that before we move on? And That's just uh, interesting. I think this is one of those weird, interesting times where you'll see a few trades. Mm-hmm. It's We'll talk about it later on, but we're about a quarter. We're in between a quarter and a third of the way through the season. I think you can officially count this as the time that we're no longer too early for anything. Mm-hmm where you can just start actually making grand statements and being partially right. And so I think teams have gotten to the point where they know what they have on their team currently. Mm -hmm. And they go, okay, if we're not where we want to be at this third mark, probably like the Ducks, they're like, we need something. We need to make this trade now. Think of it as like uh, halfway to the trade deadline sort Mm -hmm. of thing. We're like, if we need to write this shit before the deadline, this needs to be the time. Because trading someone in, I don't know, a month from now is kind of a weird spot too. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we'll see more trades, possibly. I know there's Ian Cole rumblings. Mm -hmm. So it seems like this is the prime time to do it. Yeah. I think it is interesting on that note before we move on. I do think it seems like the last few years trading has moved a little bit so it's less centralized at the deadline Mm -hmm. and more just kind of spread out over the few months leading up this is obviously several months from the deadline still which is in february the end yeah normally in uh but it does feel like maybe and i don't know if part of it is there seems like there's a lot of parity in the nhl right now and so it's really hard to convince a team that they're really out of it and like that they're 
totally sellers, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's more actual hockey trades happening rather than, you know, rentals. But it is interesting that we've had this. Uh, we obviously had the Camilleri deal um, the other day, a few uh, last week, I think, uh, Camilleri for Jokin, and there's the coal rumblings. Um, there's some other trade rumors. We, we heard one today that we'll discuss in a little while uh, about the Blues, but um, before we do that, we're going to uh, discuss the long-awaited return of one of our favorite and most <laughs> beloved segments, uh, namely, but hurt or not but hurt. Um, this, this was a segment we introduced uh, towards the beginning of the season or maybe late in the off season. Um, it feels and, like a long time yeah, ago. The, the idea is basically uh, how are our fan base is going to react or how are they reacting to uh, a certain uh, set of whatever the information might be. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, one of the ones we discussed was earlier was how will the Blues, how will Blues fans react if Ken Hitchcock is successful with the Stars? Uh, so uh, we're going to put a slightly <laughs> different take on this because with a lot of these situations, if we discuss the fans, the answer is obviously just going to be butthurt. Yeah, are they <laughs> because, out of the playoffs? But yeah, exactly. Uh, but what we're, what we're going to be focusing on is uh, some of the coaches – around the league um, and a few of the GM situations and just how we think the ownership, I guess, as the best representative of like even-keeled thought on the matter uh, would react to uh, that player. So we're not going to say it in unison this time like we did the last time because that was unintelligible. Uh, but we'll, start, <laughs> we'll, st- we'll start with the Boston Bruins uh, and especially Coach Bruce Cassidy, who is not uh, a full year on the job, um, but the Bruins currently sit in third in the Atlantic Division. They have 26 points. Uh, how do you think Bruins' ownership right now feels about their uh, head coach, Bruce Cassidy, who is just a few days less tenured in his job than our own Mike Yo? And uh, maybe more than that, how do you think they feel about GM Don Sweeney, uh, who has uh, been there in that job for... Uh, two years or so, a little two mm. two years in an off season. I'd say I'd say for probably both of them, probably not butthurt. Yeah. They're they're in third, mm-hmm. which I only just learned when you said it. and I looked it up like ten minutes ago. Yeah, so they're doing a little bit better than I thought they. Yeah, I think they've rallied a bit lately. And I don't think it's they anything. They also have only played 23 games when both the Leafs and Lightning above them have played 26 and mm-hmm. 25. Not a major deal, but it is something to consider. Yeah. They're a team that I just didn't think was going to be, or they were going to be, I don't know, a bubble playoff team. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're looking like now, and I don't think they could have expected to be any better. They could have been. I mean, they could have been better. Because they have skilled players like Bergeron and Ratface McGee, who I still can't. Brad Marchand, <laughs> that's his name. Brad Marchand. Even for, even I for a second was like, wait a second, what? <laughs> <laughs> but um, who's this? Fella? They just have enough older guys too. I mean, they signed David Backus. Maybe that's a butt hurt sort of move. <laughs> yeah. Along with a few other ones, but they are a team that I don't think. Yeah, like I said, they can't expect to be any better. They're in the spot that they should be. And they're kind of in a middle of a rebuild, a retool, something mm-hmm. like that. I'm sure they don't want to sink low enough that they're out of playoffs and they're in like an Oilers type of position where they're just going to keep drafting over and over again. They're not in a full rebuild, but I think they know 
that their window for this group is kind of closed yeah. and they're kind of waiting for the next window to open. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I, I would say not butthurt on the coach, probably. I think he's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a little curious how they feel about the GM. This is the guy that has signed, I believe, both Matt Bolesky and David Backus, uh, which Ooh. is about almost $10 million of payroll uh, eaten up for the next uh, several years. Bolesky signed through 2020, and Backus has signed beyond that, I think 2022 maybe for about $5 million. So, um I do kind of wonder, it doesn't seem like they've improved in any area over the past few years. And when you look at that team, I don't really know what the identity of the Boston Bruins is anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're always a team that seems to have an identity uh, with Zidane Chara is now very old, um, <laughs> and he's very large still. But I don't yeah, know I mean, how his body holds yeah, up. Yeah, no disrespect to him. I mean, he's out an all-time great defenseman, but he's probably nearing 40, if not already there. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, I've said before, I think is one of the most underrated players in the league, but he's underrated for a reason because he's not rising above and like carrying that team to greatness. Uh They've got Marshawn, they've got Krejci, they've got some other pieces. Oh, Pasternak, I forgot about Pasternak. But um, I am curious. I think they're fine with the coach right now. He's got him in third after a year, Mm -hmm. and he can't choose the roster. I don't think he's doing too little with that roster by any stretch, Uh, but I am curious how they feel about Don Sweeney. Uh, How do you think the ownership feels about uh, Les Habitants, the uh, Montreal Canadiens, uh, f- ironic that we should pair these two because, of course, <laughs> Claude Julien moved from the uh, Bruins to the Canadians last year uh, and their longer-tenured GM, Mark Bergevin. Um, Montreal, I would normally say, was really easy. It was butthurt all the way <laughs> until just recently when they've gone on this sort of three-game winning streak. Carey Price has come back from being injured. Won all three of those games. It's I think one of them had like a shutout. He's not terrible yeah. all of a sudden. Well, I was reading or listening to something where they were talking about how he had an injury mm-hmm. at some point. They still had him play because they because they need him. Obviously, they need him. Yeah. But when he's injured, he's I mean he's still human. How can a goalie be expected to play? That's injured? what I mean. If it's like your pinky or something, your blocker hand, cool beans. If it's like your groin, that's kind of any muscle yeah. in like between your shoulders and your yeah. toes. This yeah. is kind of like your whole deal. Yeah. Um. So I think they gave him some time off, and they might have just pulled him aside, and like, "Hey, Carrie, like, we obviously need you, but please get healthy first. And at least these last three games, he's looked really good. So Carey Price, I think, has saved this to the point that I think Canadians can Canadian fans, front office, mm-hmm. can be not so butthurt. Yeah. But I think it could turn very quickly. Yeah. I uh, think a faltering of Carey Price, as we've seen before when he was out and when he wasn't playing well, just puts this team in the basement because they got yeah. nothing. Uh, with all Canadian teams, but especially with the Capitals, mm-hmm. or not Capitals, Canadians, uh, the panic level can always turn to 10 at the drop of a hat, if not 11 or 12. So, I think that's got to be one of the but, worst places to play as a player. Yeah, but it does seem like on the flip side of that coin, they can be calmed and soothed very easily. So I kind of with <laughs> They're it. babies uh, up I, there. We have not been shy about saying that we think Peter Chiarelli doesn't seem to have a clue what he's doing, but that may be part of being 
Uh, Mark Bergerman? Or Mark Bergerman, yeah, sorry. I'm bouncing between teams too fast. Oh, we'll talk about Peter Shirelli. But yeah, in any case, um, Mark Bergerman doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Peter Shirelli doesn't seem to know what he's doing. There's so many. Nobody knows what they're doing. Canadian GMs, not Uh, so good. But I do think probably right now they're they're pretty at peace. Uh, Real quickly, I'm just going to point out, and you're welcome to chime in, I think uh, the Sabres, the fans certainly, and probably the ownership group, probably feel real sour, real butthurt about the decision to replace Dan Bilesma uh, with Phil Housley. Uh, they're currently, I think, in last in the division um, Yeah, with a whopping uh, 15 points. Oh, excuse me, I'm not looking at points. 16 points. Who one more points. Oh, good lord. Points. Uh, yeah, they are playing very poorly. Jack Eichel uh, largely demanded uh, behind the scenes, but yeah. pretty publicly, mm-hmm. uh, the removal of Dan Bilesma, and it has not worked out. Well I mean, he's—I don't think he's a very great, good coach, but I don't think it's—I don't know if it's a coaching problem yeah. in Buffalo. Yeah, they're just a jigsaw puzzle of a team—a jigsaw puzzle with all the wrong pieces, mm-hmm. mind you. This yeah. makes no semblance. I just don't know what their team is. They kind of remind me of the Oilers pre-McDavid mm-hmm. and now kind of post-McDavid mm-hmm. where they're just kind of a jumble of parts and they're just hoping that just offensive picks will do it. Yeah. Just shove them across the line and it's just not working. Yeah. They're yeah. going to have to rebuild their rebuild. Agreed. I agree. And I feel like Jack Eichel will not finish that contract as a Boston Saber. I like him, but that's just... Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think as contracts continue to grow he'll probably that probably won't be wildly overreaching mm-hmm. but i do think that it's just not the right fit for that team at this moment yeah i, uh, I feel like they could argue that speaking with of them, butt hurt but there the butt hurt with not getting the Connor mcdavid lottery that has to be real out of this world <laughs> uh b- before we move on to the next team just since we're moving down the standings wanted to give a, a quick shout out a quick shout out to former uh, Blue Doug Waits, who is currently leading the uh, New York Islanders, even in the midst of all that controversy and uncertainty about John Tavares' future, uh, to 32 points to sit them second in the Metropolitan Division. Metropolitan Division currently Blue Jackets, then Islanders, then New Jersey Devils, like I think we all predicted. <laughs> Everyone knew. A uh, classic tale. But as we'll talk about, uh, this deep into the season, it's not wise to underestimate who is where um i think we'll skip ahead in interest of time how how do you think people feel about uh the hextall hextall combination in uh, philadelphia that would be uh ron hextall the gm and dave hextall uh the uh coach how do you think they're feeling about that at uh <laughs> Eight, ten, and seven with twenty three points. You would, like a nine game losing. Streak. You would think like just the temperament of Philly fans. I don't know how he still has it. Yeah, I don't. Have and that name convention. Yeah, I would hate that. I hate that as a regular fan. Not, I don't know how Philly not fans. Not only do they that. have almost identical names, but I learned today thanks to the Puck Soup podcast that Ron Hextall first met Dave Hextall uh, because Ron's son played for Dave. At the University of North Dakota, so it just feels more and more nepotistic. <laughs> as hey, you want a job? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, that's got to be extreme, extreme butt hurts. The max. They just have too much talent to be this bad. 
when they're a fringe playoff t- contender, you can sort of say, yeah, well, the defense is mm-hmm. shoddy and uh, the goaltending's never certain for whatever reason in Philly. Uh, but when you look at a top five that includes Wayne Simmons, Kojiru, Jacob Voracek, um, they're benching Nolan Patrick on a regular basis, which I have makes one sense. my fantasy team. Uh, and... Uh, Sean Couturier and other parts like that. It just it doesn't add up, and they need to move on quickly. I would say. Um, speaking I, of moving on quickly, wait, did you have? Something oh, to I was just say I know Wayne Simmons, who's a big part of that team, has having like not the greatest year. Mm-hmm. Fourteen points in twenty five games. I mean, Giroux and Voracek are still up there, but yeah, I think they got some guys, a few guys behind them underperforming, but. They might not even be underperforming. That might just be some of the roles these other guys play, which is just not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, quickly, Stars and Ken Hitchcock sit at uh, 27 points, fourth in the Central Division, tied with the Blackhawks and two above the Wild, who trail the division in a very uh, packed and paradise. That's not a word. A, a pretty equal division. How do you think the uh, Stars are feeling about their strange decision to go back to the Kim Hitchcock era. <laughs> I'd say they're probably, I'd say fans might still be butthurt, mm-hmm. but I think management probably isn't. They're not doing as good as I thought they would be doing uh-huh. with only, what is that, 27 points? But they're still not doing terribly. Yeah. I think as a fan, though, and granted they're, you know, it looks a little worse because the there's the top three in the division, the Blues, Jets, and Predators, and then there's a big gap to the bottom four who are all kind of a jumble. Uh, but I feel like as a fan, I'm real butthurt. <laughs> because, not because fourth in the Central is terrible right now, but because they made the decision to sign Ken Hitchcock instead of making any attempt at building for the future. Just right? like Their decision was, yeah. we're going to go get Ken Hitchcock, our team's good enough now, we need to win now not let's find a coach who might be our coach for the next decade. And if he comes in and only gives you fourth place after a couple months and carries his reputation with him, Mm -hmm. you're probably not real psyched. Uh, But you're (laughs) right that the ownership group is probably fine with it. Jim Nell's probably good enough. Speaking of ownership groups that aren't fine with it, how about Bruce Boudreau and the Minnesota Wild? Oh, good. Excellent. Poison. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'll obviously talk about Boudreau more. Uh, as we reflect on that game. But. I read, um, I think it was Russo, who used to be the beat writer for the Minnesota Wild, now writes for the Athletic, had a whole little bit about, after he lost, after the Wild lost to us, about how or how Boudreaux doesn't like watching like coverage of the Wild after they lose or something. Mm-hmm. And part of it, maybe I was thinking about it in the wrong light, but part of it was like, oh, Okay, he's just a real competitive sort of guy. He hates mm-hmm. seeing his team lose. But I was also kind of like, isn't that like a big baby move? Yep. Like, learn something from that. And he just always looks dumbfounded on the bench. I don't get it. And I would, I'd fire that, I'd fire that guy immediately. Yeah. In all honesty, it's just a weird, different version of Ken Hitchcock, uh-huh. a more offensive minded Ken Hitchcock, but still stuck in like his old ways. And I read up on what Wild fans think, and they just want that dude out of there. And how much does it have to burn them that they got rid of Mike Yo, mm. who, granted, was not smashing with success. Yeah, you live and you them, learn. But they got rid of him. The Blues hire him under Ken Hitchcock. He learns for not even a full season, right? Three quarters. Three quarters something. of the season. And then 
he trashes you. His team trashes you in the playoffs. They trashed you on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Or was it Sunday or Monday night? Saturday. It's one Saturday, of those days, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you're sitting at the bottom of that division while they're sitting at the top of it. It's just got to burn. Well, I think even worse, too, is their GM. I know we keep going back and forth between mm. ownership and fans, but I would think that burns both. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I'm their ownership, I'm firing their GM, too, because that dude's got some weird, like, I don't know, nepotism, some weird in with, like, uh, Suter and, and Parise and all these kind of older guys. That was kind of the whole shtick when Yo got fired, was that Yo couldn't rein in these veterans that apparently couldn't get traded because the GM just was buddy-buddy with them. Mm-hmm. Like they, I do think they need a different GM yeah. first. He can bring in his coach, and then they can start to have like a new vision for that team. Agreed. Um, the Sharks and Pete DeBoer. Let's move. <laughs> let's move through these last three rapid fire. The okay. Sharks and Pete DeBoer uh, sit third in the Pacific with twenty eight. Uh, I'm gonna say not but hurt. Uh, I think they would have been a couple weeks ago. They've surged a little bit. They're better in the standings now. Uh, their team is not. This is more of a GM thing. Their team is falling apart rapidly. They're just old? Yeah, yeah, I think that's largely true. Would you agree with... Yeah, I'd say Pete DeBoer's face always looks but hurt, but Ugh, that's about I it. I that man viscerally. <laughs> I really can't stand him, but uh, my dreams for a time <laughs> there that the Sharks uh, were, were going to fire him, I don't think are true. Uh, uh, how do you feel about the team that beat us last night, the Ducks and Randy Carlisle? Uh, who went there and then went, went to else, Minnesota? No, went to uh, Toronto. Toronto. When they were bad. Back and they're yeah. How do you feel about that? I'm kind Wasn't of. Wasn't this the guy that like Getzlav and some of the veterans like called back? Basically? Yeah, they said we can have him back. What is now. it in the NHL with all these veterans being like, no, this will be who our coach is. Uh huh. Yeah. Go get little... us Randy Carlisle. Go get us uh, our Timmy Panera or um, whoever the other guy. <laughs> Brandon Saad, you know, mm-hmm. bring these people back. I don't understand. I uh, Ducks, to me, sit in a worse spot than I would have ever thought they were in. But, like you said, that whole bottom part out of the playoff picture mm-hmm. and wildcard spot for the Western Conference is just such a jumble right now that they could easily pop in. So I'd, And they've got so many, as we'll talk about too, so many different injuries. They've got to be like one or two in man games lost. So yeah. I think they'll probably bounce back. Yeah, I think they'll be all right. Um, and then finally, how do you think the Oilers feel about <laughs> Todd McClellan and Peter Torelli? This is an Oilers team that went to the, what, the semis last year? Uh, I wouldn't hire Peter. They, yeah. they were the team that lost to Nashville in the semis, right? Or was it just the second round? I think they made it to the second round because Nashville beat who knows? The Ducks? The Sharks? I think it was the Oilers. Was it? We'll look it up. Anyway, give we us don't your remember take. anything. We give love hockey, the, but we don't know anything. Give us your take on the 10 3 and 2 Oilers and uh, how you think they feel right now. They feel terrible. <laughs> I'd feel really butthurt. I don't know. I don't think it's Todd McClellan's fault. Granted, he coached a pretty stacked Sharks team for most of his career there. Mm-hmm. But so you could say maybe he was just protected it was by them. The Predators and the Ducks. I oh, apologize. There you go. But what was? Why oh. are the Ducks always so good and yet not? Well, see, that's what's confusing is their standing this year, too. Sometimes I forget we're hosting a podcast and just, we just ask talk. questions out loud. Uh, in any case, sorry, but, back to the Oilers. I was going to say, Peter Shirelli, though, I don't... 
I've NHL is such a weird league. I don't pay close attention to ownership or GMs and coaches for other sports leagues as much as hockey, obviously. Mm-hmm. But do they recycle people as much as the no, NHL does? I don't feel like they do. I swear, football tries to come up with like new a coordinators, a coach yeah. now, now different. So they're kind of rising up. Yeah. But I swear, the NHL just takes these old dudes and <laughs> just mashes them together. The, the NFL will will recycle people with coordinators. Like, if you sucked as a head coach, but mm-hmm. you were a good coordinator, yeah, I've seen that before. Right to be in a coordinator, stuff like that, but. I feel like the NHL has a pool of 40 coaches mm. and but, 42 GMs, and they can, you know. And I wouldn't pick Peter Shirelli. Like even, and granted, he's done a pretty good job at the moment, or it feels like that, but the Knights are starting a brand-new f- franchise, and they choose George McPhee. It's like, yeah, it's got to be someone that's established. I, I guess people are learning from the uh, Coyotes' mistake. Well, <laughs> just some young guy <laughs> yeah. ever. I just don't like Peter Shirelli because, for better or worse, he's traded away like top five draft picks. I mean, after they've been drafted, but he was the guy in Boston that traded Phil Kessel. He traded Tyler Sagan because Sagan was immature or whatever, and I'm just a terrible trade for Louis Erickson. Yeah, whatever. Then he traded Taylor Great Hall stuff. for Adam Larson. Mm-hmm. He uh, traded Neil Yakpaw, which is like, I kind of lost him banging nuts, <laughs> but whatever. There's rumors that uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins going to get traded. Please. Those are all like pretty decent Several players. Sands. <laughs> yeah. Sands Yakupov. Uh, but I just don't know. I don't know why they thought he was going to be the guy Did to. Did you say Taylor Hall? Yeah. Mentioned him, yeah. I don't know why they thought he was going to be the one to write the Oilers ship. The Oilers, this maybe isn't the right episode to talk about it. Maybe we missed our opportunity. Oh, no, I think we're good. But the Oilers are a friggin' train wreck. They are so. And it was kind of crystallized for me today when I Mm. was listening to the Puck Soup podcast with Greg Wyshynski. And one of the guys, I I still can't tell their voices apart, but one of the guys (laughs) was saying. You can't tell me that this team's now a great contender just because they won one draft lottery. And it was just kind of one of those crystallizing, like almost cartoonish moments where I was like, yeah, because <laughs> this team is terribly managed. They're horribly run. I texted you, I tweeted earlier today. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, what was it, like $15 million tied up between Andre Sakara, Chris Russell, and uh, Milan Lucic, and the first two of those are signed through 2021, and uh, Lucic is signed for $6 million <laughs> through 2023, and they've got, you know, Milan Lucic and, like, Pat Maroon as Connor McDavid's wingers. It's like, what are you supposed to do with that? Meanwhile, they keep trading, <laughs> like, top potential picks for, you know, or top, like, like you said, top. Yeah rated picks at one time mm-hmm. for like second pairing defensemen. I think Adam Larson's a pretty good trader player, mm-hmm. but for Taylor Hall, like leave alone whether that was an okay trade for both sides. You could have and should have gotten so much more for Taylor Hall. Mm. They're just a mess. And they need <laughs> to get rid of Chirelli. They need to get rid of McClellan. They need to just cut ties with everyone. That creepy owner <laughs> who uh, tries to hit on actresses and pay them for oh, oh, the business. Yeah. He needs to go. I know <laughs> you can't just get rid of owners, but man, that team's a mess. And if I'm an Oilers fan, I you know, the height was the orange jerseys. And they're gone now. They, they really did a number on that whole team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so moving on uh, to, to cap that discussion, 
was it was it Elliot Friedman you saw do the research mm-hmm. uh, when he wasn't flubbing uh, <laughs> swimming sure. results? Oh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Elliot. You're you're a great man, uh, Canadian but, treasure. But he uh, he did some research, and it's uh, also I just think sort of widely discussed that the standings in uh, the NHL around Thanksgiving. Uh, really matter and his conclusion was that about 75 percent of teams that are playoff teams in the standings come thanksgiving uh will make the playoffs Mm. we were going to talk about this last week but since thanksgiving is would more traditionally fall on uh this later thursday we decided to wait a week so the standings are currently uh the atlantic division is the lightning maple leafs bruins and uh I think those are actually technically the only three teams from that division that would make the playoffs. Well, correct. Uh, but the Red Wings, Canadians, Senators, uh, Panthers, and Sabres, um, everyone up until the Canadians is kind of in contention, and then the Senators, Panthers, and Sabres are not. Uh, the Metro division has, as we said, and as everyone predicted, the Blue Jackets, <laughs> Islanders, and Devils all almost tied for the lead uh, with a s- uh, slight drop to the Capitals and Penguins, who would both be playoff teams. Uh, but the Penguins would be the eighth seed in that uh, And they don't conference. care. They don't. They'll still win. Uh, <laughs> the Rangers are just outside the playoffs. Wouldn't it be delightful if the, if the Penguins miss the playoffs? <sighs> and the Hurricanes have 25 points and the Flyers 23. Uh, as you probably know, we lead our division, uh, followed closely by the Jets, who are followed closely by the Predators, who are followed very distantly by the Stars, <laughs> Blackhawks, Avalanche, and Wild. And then, as I think we all predicted again, uh, the Golden Knights lead the Pacific Division, actually technically tied uh, with the Kings, but with two games in hand. And the Sharks and Flames would also make the playoffs out of that division, uh, depending on the tiebreaker between the Flames and Blackhawks at the moment, which I don't know what that is, but that's neither here nor there because I think the Flames aren't going to make it anywhere. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, but the Ew. Canucks, Ducks, Oilers, and Coyotes. Uh, the I will say boldly and with confidence that the Coyotes not making the playoffs oh, this year. I think uh, they've already been eliminated. For Dolan. Uh, but in any case, uh, so we just thought we'd say real quickly two teams from each conference we think uh, from this group are going to be in and two teams we think are going to be out. I would say pretty confidently that any of the teams that are already in the 30s Mm -hmm. are probably in. So that would be the Lightning and Maple Leafs with 36 and 33, uh, the Blue Jackets, Islanders, and Devils, which is still befuddling, uh, with (laughs) 33 points, 32 and 32, the Blues, Jets, and Predators, and then the Golden Knights and Kings. Uh, the Golden Knights are a special case, I guess, but we'll talk about them in turn. So uh, what of these teams are jumping out of you as fringe teams that really don't belong in the playoff picture? In the Eastern Conference, I'll start there. I think... I don't think Pittsburgh makes it this year. They've just been inconsistent enough, and they're in eighth place mm-hmm. and I can see them just getting a few more thrashings in from other teams that they just don't make it and can I mean can you blame them you got two long runs they in a row they played like 50 yeah they haven't stopped hockey than yeah. else I can't blame them they still look good they could still make it but I don't think they will that's um, interesting that's a that's a pretty hot take honestly <laughs> that's a hot take I would say my my hotter take and probably not really is just that I don't think Boston's going to make it yeah I, I mean they're sitting in third but like you said they can't 
they're not going to maintain a wild card spot. So you're in third in the Atlantic or you're not in the playoffs period because yeah. the uh, Metropolitan Division is just that much better. Yeah. So I'd say those, I'd say Pittsburgh and Boston are out. And then I'd probably put the Rangers in because I don't think I've seen the Rangers not be in. And Montreal because gross because yeah. they'll just get there. They'll get there and they'll lose immediately because Carey Price will just be so tired from putting all 18 <laughs> players on his back and getting them there. So yeah. that's my take is, yeah, Pittsburgh, Boston out in the east and then Montreal and Rangers in. I think I would probably agree. Uh, I would say um, that uh, the Red Wings are not currently a playoff team. They're not going to be one. Uh, just so help clarify. me, God. Uh, I don't know if, man, I, Pittsburgh's interesting, and I think there's a very good argument for them just from the sheer exhaustion standpoint. Uh, the thing is, I don't know about any of those teams. I mean, who's gonna who's gonna surge at the end is kind of the question here. I think mm-hmm. it's gonna keep pretty even. I actually think maybe it's more wishful thinking than not, <laughs> but I think the Hurricanes stand a chance to make a push mm-hmm. and uh, actually win a playoff berth. Um, Otherwise, I would agree with you largely. I don't know if the Penguins will fall out, but I do think the Bruins probably will. Um, but the Hurricanes were a team that kind of did this last year, except they were way farther behind where they made the second half of their season was really good and they really pushed, mm-hmm. and then they just couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, they've got a lot of young talent. They've got Justin Williams, which I guess matters. Um, <laughs> Mr. Game 7. And I just would like to see them make it. The Flyers will not. Uh, the Sabres will not. And let's hope the Panthers do, but they won't. As an aside, though, too, I was just looking at these standings. The uh-huh. Atlantic Division, Tampa Bay and Toronto, like you said, are that much further ahead than those other two teams, uh-huh. or the rest of their division. Um, they're also the only two teams in the Atlantic that are over um, what we'll just call regular 500. Yeah. Even the Bruins sitting at third are 11, 8, and 4. Real 500. Real 500. Not, not Gary 500 Bettman 500. <laughs> I've heard that on uh, the Steve Dangle podcast. <laughs> like I like Bettman it. 500. Gary Bettman 500. I love it. <laughs> I, love it. Uh, I, would, I do want to say, though, interestingly, if you think the Penguins would be out, that would put both of last year's conference finalists not in the playoffs, which would be fun for the... Eastern Conference especially, where the names are often so recycled. Uh, I guess I'll take off on the Western Conference mm. since um, I let you take the, uh, the You're Eastern just talking. Uh, uh, the Flames are currently arguably a playoff team, depending on what the tiebreaker is. Uh, with the Blackhawks, they will not remain one. Whoa. I'm pretty confident. That's the hottest of takes. Um, and... From the teams in our division, if any of them are going to fall out, it's definitely going to be the Stars. Uh, As much as it grosses me to say it, uh, the Blackhawks will be a playoff team, and I think the Ducks will be a playoff team. You already said with the Ducks that they're so injured. Uh, Ryan Kessler should be back soon. I don't know what Getzlav's prognosis is, but I think he'll be back pretty soon. And when when those two come back and they have three centers of... Getzlav, uh, the other one I just said, Kessler. Ryan Kessler, <laughs> and Adam Henrique. Did you see the total alarm come <laughs> over my face? And uh, Adam Henrique, who they just traded for, that's going to be three pretty good anchors uh, for your top three lines. They've got a ton of young defensemen. Uh, Gibby's really good. I think John, John Gibson yeah, we saw that. is really good. And I think Ryan Miller 
is obviously a very credible threat as a backup, um, <laughs> other than when he played for the Blues. Uh, so I just think they're a team that can't miss the playoffs if they get healthy. And Carlisle, as much as we gave him crap, is at least good enough to get teams to the playoffs, mm. I feel like. I mean, I think he was their coach when they won the Cup. I don't know for certain. I think he was, which is kind of weird. I'm going to say that seems like the easy guess. Yeah, I went boring. No, I mean, sorry. I was thinking of my guess in my head. I was going to say Dallas and Chicago out. But I'm going to say San Jose and Dallas out. I think you're right. I think Chicago still makes it because gross. But I think, yeah, Dallas falls off because Ken Hitchcock is like a little bit poison. I don't Mm. know if that's an understatement of the century. Uh, San Jose... I, the few games I've seen of them, they just don't convince me. They just kind of win blandly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're not. I didn't realize it at the time, but the year they beat us to go to the cup mm-hmm. was their last hurrah. That's so sad. And I didn't. I wasn't. I really wasn't aware of it at the time. But man, Thornton, I think is finally showing a little of his age. Mm-hmm. Marlowe's gone, which is just for that team. It's got to be so like paradigm shifting to not have both of those guys. The same way for the Canucks, it's got to be to like once the, the Sedins are, are gone, like a third line pairing. I forget they're even there. And in like, all honesty, they should just retire. I don't think they're very good. But yeah, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, I don't even know what my other two teams. Well, you said Canucks and Stars are out. Oh no, San Jose and oh, Stars yeah, are out. Yeah, I said Canucks. The Canucks aren't even in the Sharks. <laughs> the Sharks and Stars. Yeah, are out. I think I'd put the Ducks in because because I already said that. But um. You know, this this is more of a hopeful thing, and this sounds weird from a long time ago. I kind of hope the Canucks make it. Yeah, I just because they'd be like, too. no, it'd be weird. I used to hate the Canucks more than any team, and now I'm like, oh, the Canucks. They'd be like our, they'd be like our in our position when the Blues were not so good, and then they kind of went on a run yeah. and made it in, but didn't make much noise, just got swept out. I could see the Canucks making it and be like, oh, I didn't even know the Canucks. We're good enough, and then they'll yeah. just get knocked out. Here's a fun question for you. As the playoffs currently stand, uh, the Blues would be the number one seed in the West, uh, which would put us against the eighth seed overall, which could be a Pacific team or a Central team. Which of those fringe teams right now would you least oh, like you to be our opponent? Uh, just looking at it, I would also, again, say the Ducks. Maybe it's a little recency bias, mm-hmm. but boy, that's a good team that seems to go deep every year. Uh, I think we've only played the Blackhawks once this year, but I think with last year and obviously the playoff series two years ago, not that the Blackhawks wouldn't be an incredibly tough playoff matchup, but I think we've gotten the monkey off our back a little bit in terms of the, like, oh, they're invincible, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're unbreakable sort of sort of the mystique i guess that they had for us and i don't know if the ducks wouldn't be more of like a sneaky threat where we wouldn't get us up for it as yeah the blackhawks i think that's a good observation i don't think we would handle the ducks very well i think we are better equipped to handle quick teams and be in that quote-unquote like track meet mm-hmm. sort of style of play than we have ever have been before and i think we're actually from my observations in last night's game we'll talk about later I think we're not nearly as a heavy team as the NHL and commentators like to still think we are. Yeah, because we're not, and we seem to be able to be able to get manhandled if we try and play that game. And I think the Ducks are the exact type of team that would just revel in that. 
Yeah, I agree. And I do think it is interesting. Mike Yo said he was going to make us a faster team. And it doesn't necessarily feel like he has, but he certainly has. I feel like. <laughs> and it's strange. I think uh, it's just more like we've talked about a thousand times. It's defensemen being capable in the offensive zone. You yeah. just look that much more threatening and kind of fast, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is going to be a, a quite a long episode, I feel like, at this point. But we're That's in fine. This You're in it for the long haul. Uh, Strap yeah. in, folks. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to this topic. We'll move the Korea conversation to before the, uh, before oh, the yeah. game with the uh, Ducks. But let's talk about this. Uh, Patrick Bergwin came back this week well, well ahead of the schedule that was laid out for mm-hmm. him uh, when he got his shoulder surgery. Um he returned unceremoniously in last night's game uh, with wait, wait. <laughs> um, two penalties, both of which were converted into power play goals uh, for the opposition. But he also won six of his six faceoff draws. So uh, there's good and bad, I guess. From the replays I watched and from what I read, he supposedly looked a lot better in the third. So yeah. they'll just have to keep moving yeah, along. Yeah, that's what Yo said, actually, too. He very politely said... <laughs> this guy blew chunks in the first two periods. No, <laughs> he did say something about like we don't think that's the player he is, though. We're not going to look at that. <laughs> I like how like, we like you thought yeah. someone thought he would think that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but in any case, uh, there's an article from Respect the Notes, uh, Joey Palazzola, which I'm probably butchering, uh, but hopefully not. Um, Joey is a blogger with Respect the Note. I think he's the founder of RespectTheNote.com, which is a, a blues blog site. And he's on Twitter at Palazzola with two Zs uh, underscore RTN. Um, and I talked with him briefly to see if he'd mind us discussing this. And yeah. he was excited to have us do that. So he wrote an article that said, "With Ber- the the headline is, with Bergwin's return imminent, who should the Blues target to round out the top nine? Uh, pretty widely agreed, I think, by Blues fans that they need one more chip uh, mm-hmm. on, in the forward group to really make them dangerous. Uh, let's talk about the names he discussed. Um, the big one, and this is we've discussed him before, uh, I think is Evander Kane, who currently has 50, 25 points with 23. Uh, somebody did the math wrong. Oh, he's got 25 he's, points. He's Either got he's got 23 points with 12 goals and 11 assists. Okay, yeah. so the article said 13 assists, and I was like, that's. I don't know if they took now. him back. I don't know. In any case, um, but in any case, so 23 points. You said. Mm. Uh, in 24 games or 25 now. Yeah, so point per game. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, obviously a very gifted scorer, still only like 26. Which uh, is amazing. Yeah. He must have played when he was like 19 because yeah. he's been here forever. He would be a rental barring mm. us extending him because he's on the final year of his deal. Which um, is like 6 mil, I think. Yeah, my thoughts on Kane is I'd love to have a player of his speed and talent and goal-scoring capability on this team. Uh, there is going to be a moment if we traded for him, which I don't expect uh, for the reason I'm about to explain, <laughs> uh, where Doug Armstrong would have to really explain to me why uh, Matt Duchesne was a, a character problem and couldn't be like never considered for this team. They just mm-hmm. wrote him off because of character issues and the lack of leadership and why we would be happy to embrace Evander Kane. Maybe part of that would be it's a rental and he'll come here and be a mercenary. Uh, if the price was right, that'd be great. Uh, but Evander Kane, 
I've never met him or been in a <laughs> locker room with him. He's had a lot of uh, personality issues. It's no secret. There's been a lot of discussion of that in the NHL. So I don't feel like he's a fit for the Blues when Armstrong has historically put so much emphasis on character and, and leadership mm-hmm. uh, and chemistry in trades. But I would love to see him here. What do you think about Evander Kane? That's sort of how I feel, too. I think he's a really good skill player, and I think we do need somebody with Stasny that's more of a scorer because Steen used to be, mm. but he's sort of fallen into more of like a two-way forward. Even he's kind of a setup guy now sometimes. And Saboka, as much as I like him, isn't like a goal scorer. So I feel like they're kind of second liner, really. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the thing. Is I like Steen and Saboka, but they both are really more suited for a third line role at this point mm-hmm. in my eyes. So I do like Kane. He's a left winger. We kind of got a glut of those, but you can easily move Steen over to right wing. I mm-hmm. mean, he might be playing that now. Currently, yes. I don't know. I but like you said, it's a history of weird locker room things. I remember a long time ago he came in in a tracksuit mm-hmm. to a game when you're supposed to be wearing like suits and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember Bufflin like took it and threw it in the shower or something like that. So I I mean whether who's right and wrong in certain scenarios, it just doesn't send the right vibe that you're like rubbing players the wrong yeah, way. Yeah. So I'd probably pass on him, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't turn my nose up at him if we did trade for him. No, certainly not. Which I don't think is going to happen. And I don't, it's not even, you know, obviously he's probably the hottest rental on the market right now. Mm. I'm not saying, I think the Blues could very well make a pretty headline-grabbing move. I just don't think that would be it. Uh, The next name he lists is Tobias Ryder, who is honestly a player I don't know a ton about. He's 24 years old with a 2-4-5 cap hit from Arizona, uh, Palazzola, Joey says, uh, be safe to pencil in for around 15 to 20 goals this year, given his role. Um, I don't know a ton about him, uh, and I don't feel like he's necessarily the player. What I really think the Blues need Mm -hmm. is a player they can add to their top six comfortably Mm -hmm. and then bounce someone who's currently in their top six to their third line. Agreed. It has to be that way because like we just said we have two players that we already think are that are on the second line that we think should be on the third. Right. We don't need another one. Yeah, and if we're just going to get third liners, I'd rather we give Blay and Barbashev and Yeah, we've Coach got Thompson yeah, exactly. Dimitri Askin and Saboka an opportunity rather than trade for another person. Um the next player he names is Patrick Maroon, the St. Louis native. Uh, no interest in Patrick <laughs> Maroon on my end. I think he'd be good. I just think he'd be a third line. He's very physical, mm-hmm. so that'd be good. He's a bigger player, and we could probably use a little size. Uh, but I think his uh, value is going to be very inflated mm-hmm. from playing alongside Connor McDavid last year. And um, he is not a 50-point player like I think he put up somehow last year. Um, just McDavid. Yeah, and I, <laughs> if if we can get him for the price of Patrick Maroon, I'd love to add him, but I don't think we could. Agreed. I think if they're going to sell him, they're going to sell him as a 50-point player, and that is not what he is. Um, Ryan Spooner's the next name he mentions that I like a lot. Um, That's the one 2. for me. $2.825 million cap hit uh, with the Bruins, who, as we mentioned, are struggling. Combined 88 points over the past two seasons. Um, and he is certainly a name I've heard linked to the Blues before, especially in uh, Shattenkirk rumors, as Joey points out. Um, he's had a little injury problem this uh, season, 
And this says he has a 57% face-off percentage this year, but his career, you said, was much lower, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, like 42 or something. I'd love a center, but I don't think we have to add a center necessarily. You said you liked uh, Spooner a fair amount. Why do you Why do you say that? Well, in Blues tradition, we can just throw him on the wing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but his points are I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but his points are, are good, and I think he has... I'm looking at this right. Decent uh, power play numbers. I guess he's getting points on it. I think uh, two years ago he had, it looks like 35, maybe. That can't be right. That's way too many. But yeah, I think he plays power play time, and that'd be good. Um, It's just someone, like you said, I don't think we're in that weird spot where I don't think we're going to get the solid second line player. But I also don't want a tweener between mm-hmm. second and third line so we're gonna have to settle on this weird made up in between yeah. spot where 75 percent of the time they're a second line player but you know 25 percent of the time they're a third line player and that's kind of feels like what he would be kane feels more like in terms of skill like a second line player but i like we mentioned before i just don't know about mm-hmm. locker room stuff and then i know spooner feels like a younger adam henry <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I know uh, in this article they mentioned uh, our old friend up in Calgary, who Troy I've got Brower. no interest yeah. in either. Uh, he says his first sentence on Troy Brower is, this is the one name that might make you shake your head on this list. And with no disrespect to Joey, he was correct. He's, he's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Brower's $4.5 million cap hit through two years from now. Um, there's no interest. And yeah. Nothing. I think. I think he probably will have a better year than he had last year mm-hmm. in the next three, counting this year. But I just, I'm not going to take that risk. We need to get. Yeah. If we're committing to three years, it needs to be either a guy entering or you know in the midst of his prime, or a younger you know. Exactly. Guy. If we're committing to a speed game, you can have Troy Brower yeah. on your team. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> Uh, But I thought that was an interesting list. I did want to mention quickly, um, just because we talked about it a lot today, I was listening to Kevin Wheeler on 101 ESPN, uh, who's not necessarily a hockey expert, but somebody brought up the Vantanet trade with him, and he went into this kind of uh, mysterious, kind of veiled discussion about, he's like, well, it's really eerie that they mentioned this, because we were just having a conversation during the break about... Uh, the Blues are looking at a player and it'd be a very similar deal, maybe a, a defenseman and a prospect to get this player. And he's like, it was very clear that he had a specific name in mind. That was that was utterly clear. He wouldn't tell us who it was. Um, and then he kind of talked about like uh, he'd be a third liner with some scoring upside that could probably fit into the second line, which uh, I don't think i'm interested in uh, but i also don't know if that's the right analysis of the player that's true i don't know um, what he's thinking and he talked about he talked with his producer he's like should i tell anything more and the and the guy very quickly said no which made me feel like and totally speculation that there's one thing that he could have said that would have given it away um so the player that came to my mind, and we already mentioned him, is Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, whose name has been mentioned in a lot of trade speculation. Get me the news. Uh, there was a false <laughs> trade yesterday for Ian Cole and a second-round pick uh, for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, if we could do, if we could do Carl Gunnarsson in a second, go for it. But even if we could do like 
any of our young prospects in a second or third for that guy, and maybe Carl Gunnarsson on top of it, like I'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Bortuzzo, if they want him, I don't there you care, go, take you know, him. <laughs> we traded him for Ian Cole, or you know, oh, oh that'd be kind of a weird little triangle. Uh, but I like Nuge a lot. He was a first overall pick. He's obviously never played quite to that level. But one of the things about... Peter Shirley loves dealing those guys. Yeah, well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things about hockey that's always hard is is the difference between, you know, the Connor McDavid-Jack Eichel year had two picks better than any pick in a lot of drafts, you Mm -hmm. know. So, So NHL, I feel like more than any other sport, those top picks can be so, like, it, nobody like Niall Yakupov never came into the league with Connor McDavid hype. You know, yeah, they already knew and he'd be yeah, okay. He's disappointed even for the first overall pick. Obviously, where there were picks behind him that were not as great, or that were better, excuse me, that were not as hype. But it mm. wasn't like anybody was like Niall Yakupov is the next next friggin' Gretzky. I swear on my life, you know. <laughs> uh, so to say Nuge has underperformed a little bit for a first overall pick. Not necessarily given the year he was picked, and I'm mm-hmm. not. It's not in front of me, but he's he'd be a good center. He's got a six million dollar cap hit, which is kind of high, but he's locked down for several more years. If we got him, I feel like we could comfortably say goodbye to Stasny unless Stasny took a, a considerable pay cut. Um, is that the thought process? Because I I want him here, but gears turning in my head, I don't know where he fits here but if Stasny's gone I know yeah. exactly where he well, goes. Well here's the thing one of the reasons I want us to trade for a center right now is if we don't we go into this offseason as we have to sign Paul Stasny I almost said Peter Stasny or we <laughs> have to trade for or sign another second mm-hmm. line center uh, as much as Rob Thomas is growing as a young player, he's nowhere close to being an NHL second-line center. I don't think Tage Thompson has that ceiling or is there yet either, nor does Jordan Cairo, who's not always a center. So, like, much like us signing Stastny in the first place was like, oh, that has to happen, mm-hmm. uh, and it only makes sense, and thankfully it did, uh, I don't want to be put in another situation where it's like, okay, we've got Shen, and then... Nothing, Nothing. <laughs> you know. So that's kind of the reason. Whether mm-hmm. or not I, I would, I would love to keep Stastny for like somewhere between four and five million, and have him here, mm. and you know have him playing. If we if we had three centers good enough to have Paul Stastny be our third line center, I would be over the moon. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> but if we could get Nuge, then we could have that flexibility yeah. to at least make that decision without panic. You know. Yeah, I don't want to put us too far off track, but real quick, yay or nay, do you think we re-sign Paul Stasny or extend him before the summer? Ooh. Um, that's interesting. Uh, it depends somewhat on any of the Yeah, of course. I feel like Paul Stastny will stay here. I always have. Um, I feel like he was uh, hyped when he came here, and yeah. probably overly so. We overpaid him. I don't. This may be bupkis, but I feel like there's a part <laughs> of Paul Stastny, since this is his hometown, that kind of wants to be like, 
so much, he could do so much for his reputation in this town if he took a little less money than maybe he was mm. owed and overperformed it <laughs> for the next few years. Yeah, you know? for sure. So I would think maybe if we give him a bridge deal at a higher price or a longer deal at a lower price, I wouldn't be shocked to see him return. And I don't think Army's going to put himself in a situation where he has to, like, Mm-hmm. I, he's not for one thing with Stastny in particular. He's not going to put himself in a situation where Stastny can say, "Who else you got? You know, <laughs> I need six five this Come time. On, Paul. You know, yeah. to to stay here because you ain't got nothing." Uh, so I would lean towards yes, although I would think that would be the unpopular answer. What but, answer? yeah, I think a lot of people either want him gone or would rather wait till the summer. But I think this. Strikes me as a January, February kind of dead. I mean, not dead, but just kind of the kind of boring months before you get to the playoffs and the trade deadline, and you get that weird random update on your phone, and you're like, like, Paul Stasny got extended? Cool, I guess. Yeah. That's like, I swear that's when Steam got extended and Berglund gets extended middle of the season. So, yeah, he'll probably right around the same time Berglund got extended. Yeah. And I, Paul And I'm not opposed to that either. Paul Stasny, for one thing. Probably the most underrated performer for the Blues this year. Currently, yeah, for um, sure. And I think if he can stay healthy, there's no reason that he couldn't put up 60 points at least. And when you're getting towards 60 points on the second line with not second line talent yeah. around you, <laughs> then you're starting to talk about maybe not worth $7 million, but worth over 5 mm. you know. Um, <laughs> not that it's a, an even calculus, but it's kind of like... <laughs> Every 10 points gets you a million dollars, sort of, you know. Close so, enough. Uh, before we get too bogged down in that, uh, we should probably touch on these games eventually. Did the Blues play? Uh, Who are the Blues? Is this a team? <laughs> I agree. So why don't we uh, move on to the games for a moment? And by moment, I mean the rest of this podcast. <laughs> uh, we played the Minnesota Wild, uh, which was fun for the most part. Uh, we beat them 6-3. to three. Moving on to the next game. <laughs> no, uh, I took way too many notes on this uh, video game, this hockey game. I'm My brain's broken. Anyway, uh, let's move on. <laughs> so the first period. Are you going to talk about this game or not? <laughs> my brain just, you know, you ever have a cycle? It was a real Bernie Federico moment. Oh, okay. I can understand so, that. Scoring opened with Paul Stastny, the aforementioned Paul Stastny. See, I remember stuff that we said earlier. Uh, he scored unbelievably a power play goal. Uh, his sixth of the season. <laughs> that is unbelievable. With, <laughs> with assists from Savoka and Steen, their uh, eighth, each of their eighth. Uh, Pareko, <laughs> I'm, my, my mouth's broken, I'm sorry. Uh, Pareko uh, kept a puck in at the line here and kind of uh, got it towards the net, and there was sort of a dogfight in front of the net. Uh, Sammy Blay, uh, Blazer, as I found out the team called him today, which was so redeeming. Nice. Uh, grabbed the rebound, sort of skated around, and back behind the net. Uh, he hit Steen at the point, and Saboka, uh, Steen hit Saboka at the wall. And then Saboka took a shot, which Stastny deflected, into the net. Uh, it kind of was one of those goals where it looked like Stastny didn't even realize it was in because it wasn't the immediate, like, oh, yeah! You know, <laughs> uh, it was just kind of a quiet reaction. Uh, but it was nice to see us start with a power play goal after how anemic our power play was against Nashville. Um, 
And I remember we weren't watching this together, but we were texting each other about, like, mm. do we score here? No. And then it <laughs> happened, and so we were pretty excited. Uh, there was a moment in here where Alan made uh, back-to-back uh, brilliant saves, uh, the final of which was a pad stack on Mitchell that was really beautiful to watch. And, you know, sometimes when you look back at these games, you see that one big save or big moment where you're like, oh, did that change the entire course of this game? And in this case, it very it probably well did. Um, Dimitri Yaskin, believe it or not, scored a goal. <laughs> uh, actually, I think Dimitri is having a pretty good week. He's been pretty hot mm-hmm. since he scored that goal to end his drought against the, was it the Oilers? Yep. It was the Oilers game. Uh, so this was his third goal of the season. That was uh, a really good one. Assisted by Thorburn, but really not. Uh, <laughs> the two assists Thorburn's had so far this season were really like almost playmaker assists. This was like his skate was in the right place. Uh, but... Um, it was a great play by uh, Dimitri, as you said. Uh, Kyle Quincy, who uh, I wrote in the notes a few days ago, was real unpopular in many right now. Uh, so unpopular that he has since been placed on waivers. <laughs> um, so I guess our analysis was right. Uh, he uh, cleared the puck very poorly, and it sort of bounced off Thorburn's skate. And Dimitri collected it and deked Dubnik very adeptly <laughs> and scored uh, the second goal of the game. Um, he looks really good and close, Dimitri Askin does. Yeah. Uh, a lot more so than you'd think for a big player. Yeah, agreed. He, uh, We were talking about when he moves his feet, he's a real good player. I think he's one <laughs> yeah. of those guys that just needs confidence. Mm, that's and what we were saying last week. to his credit, this team is not given him a lot of reason to have it. And I think we talked back in the offseason about, look, this is a make-or-break season for Dimitri Askin, but if it's going to be a make-or-break season for him, we got to give him 10- and 20-game stretches where it's just you're in the lineup mm-hmm. and you just get to prove. Because you can't, and this is one of the things I think we do too much, we'll bring a guy up like Blay for two games, not that we've sent him back down or anything, but it'll be like, okay, show us everything. Oh, you didn't score four goals. Now you're going back, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, with Dimitri, it's good to see him doing well. He'll score a couple more points before the scoring this week is through. I had a note in here from Michael Russo, which seems more bitterly ironic uh, given the news we just mentioned, but he quote he uh, wrote in The Athletic that the Wild had won five straight games with Kyle Quincy out of the lineup, and they lost six of the last eight games he'd started. Uh, so their third pairing was abysmal um, before, uh, well, it had been. And as we, f- we failed to mention earlier, that with Bergwin coming back, uh, the Blues were forced to waive Nate Prosser, which was not a move they were really eager to make, but you can't keep eight defensemen. Uh, so they waive <laughs> Nate Prosser, and in the least shocking waiver claim of all time, the Minnesota Wild picked him up, which is the third time the Wild have picked up Nate Prosser off waivers, including the second time that they've done it from us. And each of those <laughs> times, we played them immediately after. So it will be interesting to see uh, what Nate Prosser and the Wild do uh, when we play them on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, Thorburn had... Uh, what may, I feel like, end uh, the year as one of the best fights of the season uh, with Chris Stewart, the former Blue Current Minnesota Wild, um, in what turned out to be a very long, Mm -hmm. uh, very 
physical fight. And I was, yeah, I looked it up. Hockey fights does not think he won that fight. I was gonna look it up right now because I highlighted it in the notes, <laughs> but I never went back. What were the? Did you have the, Chris Chris Stewart with forty five point nine percent of the vote, and then draw more than Thorburn? Yep. I think that's fair. Uh, there was a moment where even Thorburn admitted. Um, Stewart had him down on the ice fairly good. Fairly <laughs> Thorburn early. at nine percent, and Thor- <laughs> Thorburn. Well, Vladdy got like eighty percent, so we'll, we'll take we'll it. Take it. Uh, Thorburn mentioned that Stewart actually let him up, which is it's so weird how there's like chivalry and fighting in the NHL, but Stewart like let him get off the ice instead of petting him so they could go mm-hmm. at it longer, uh, which to me is a point in Stewart's favor in terms of winning. But it was a great moment. I think it made a lot of fans fall in love with Thorburn uh which it's been a it's been a kind of a bumpy road for Thorburn just because Brian Reeves was so loved here mm. and um I think Thorburn has the potential he's not the as good an all-around player as Reeves and he's probably not as charismatic as Reeves was but like he's got the potential to take that role to some extent you know um I was going to say something else here, and I forgot what it was. (laughs) So we'll move on to uh, Jaden Schwartz's goal, the third goal of the game, uh, assisted by Tarasenko. Um, Tarasenko kind of carried it in and shot high, and it hit uh, Dubnik's glove, but he couldn't hold on. And uh, Vova grabbed it behind the net, backhanded it in front, and Schwartz got the dirty goal low. I couldn't tell if it was five-hole or... Uh, past the pad or just slightly over the pad, but it was a low uh, on the ice goal that gave the Blues a 3 nothing lead going into the first intermission. Um, the Blues looked great in the first period. They really did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this looked to be another great game um, from their perspective, and it ended up being, but there was a little bit of bumps along the road. Uh, the first of those uh, was when Devin Dubnik absolutely robbed Chris Thorburn, the aforementioned, of <laughs> what would have given him a Gordie Howe hat trick. I like how I wrote Gordie Howe, like just H O W in the notes. How? <laughs> Gordie Howe. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a two on one, I think, where Thorburn ended up with a puck on his stick and. Uh, just, I mean, just Dubnik grabbed it out of the air with his glove hand. He was talking about in that same interview. It was like, yeah, some of the goal scorers gave me some pointers to go low, look for the five hole on Dubnik. So I'll I'll check that next time. And I was like, there will never be a next time. Uh, but it was kind of it was cool to see him get a good opportunity. It was a shame he couldn't finish the Gordie Howe hat trick. Um, would have been funny to see that happen right after Vlad got one. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Charlie Coyle got a goal for the uh, Wild. I always want to say Predators because it's like the same concept of a logo. Yeah. But, um, in any case, cat uh, things. This one, this one was just a catastrophe. Uh, the puck got past Petrangelo on our just feckless power play, and uh, it escaped past him to center ice. Uh, the uh, insanely fast Jason Zucker, uh, Zucker, Zucker. I've heard it both weird. ways. Uh, speeds up and catches Petrangelo and tackles him, which I still don't understand how that wasn't a penalty, particularly in a game that the rest called extremely tightly mm-hmm. the entire time. Uh, but he tackled Petrangelo. Uh, thankfully, well, 
thankfully at the time, Sammy Blay, who was returning to the lineup this night, uh, picked up the puck and he tried to pass, but he was unprepared for the charging Charlie Coyle Mm -hmm. and I think the speed of the NHL game a little bit and the skill of NHL players, and Coyle just caught the puck Mm -hmm. and was then one-on-one with Allen and just uh, beat Allen to his left and because Allen was understandably out of position. Uh, very ugly mistake for Sammy Blay. Um, what I really liked was seeing Yo show some faith in him. Uh, I commented on Twitter that if this had been during the Ken Hitchcock era, Sammy Boy would never have seen the ice yeah, again. Yeah, he would have been would have been Magnus PRV next yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Yo not only showed faith in him for the duration of the game, but he was back out on the next shift. Um, and ultimately scored his first career goal in this game. Spoiler alert. Uh, Yo's comments, I think, were exactly in line with what I want to see from a coach on this. He said, he made a mistake. That's a mistake where you're still learning the league and understanding how good players are. Not just how good they are with the skill with the skill and the things they can do, but how good their sticks are and how quickly they can get on you. But we kept him out there on the next shift. He had a great shift, and I'm really happy for him to get that goal, uh, the goal we'll talk about later. I thought he played a real strong game tonight, not just that goal. I thought he was very effective. Uh, you just love to see a coach who's willing to go out there and build up a young player. Mm-hmm. That's just, I'm Ken Hitchcock had a lot of strengths. That was not one. <laughs> uh, he would have probably crapped on Blay in the post press conference and you're certainly right that Blay would not have been in the lineup the next night um, but uh, that was a pretty flat end of the second period uh, the Blues power play um, it was had, terrible <laughs> terrible yeah uh, but as I said here they currently at least netted a goal for both teams instead of just giving up a short point um, the third period, I thought the Blues got off to a really hot start, but uh, I was a little worried. I posted a status, or posted a twi- tweet, as, as the kids say, a tweet, <laughs> a twiddle, uh, that just said, is the concern level kind of high in this game right now at 3-1? to one? And some people were like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little nerve-wracking. Um, but uh, the Blues got off to a hot start, and uh, the... Um, one moment where that looked even worse was when Jared Spurgeon shot a puck off the crossbar uh, after Steen slashed uh, him or someone else. And this was confusing because it was briefly like tallied on the screen as a goal by Fox Sports Midwest, but it was never called that on the ice. Um, And on the immediately ensuing power play, uh, Kyle Bradziak scored a shorthanded goal. Uh, who before his scoring tear of the last two games, uh, this was a case where Spurgeon, instead of Petrangelo, badly mishandled a puck at the line, and Brodsey took it, sped up ice, which I think Brodsey showed me a little speed, both in this and in the goal he scored uh, last night, Mm -hmm. um, that I didn't think he had necessarily, and he scored high to the glove side of Dubnik, who never really had a chance on this. was very interesting goal to see Kyle Brodziak do that unassisted. Uh, I think he's a better player than he gets credit for. He had a 20-plus goal season up in Minnesota. He's exactly the player we've kind of kept on our fourth line, who's a really talented fourth line player rather Mm -hmm. than just a body man, you know. He's not necessarily a scrub. Not at all. Uh, So... 
you would think the game was well in hand then, uh, but the Wild scored a couple of goals in short order. Uh, Zach Mitchell scored his second of the year. Daniel Winnick and Tyler Ennis with assists. Uh, there was just some back and forth between Winnick and Ennis, uh, and then they had a dump off, dump off one-timer to Mitchell, who scored low on Allen. Uh, both Brodziak and Bo Meester, you pointed out Bo Meester, were way behind on the play and slow to react on both of their assignments. Um, and it just was kind of an ugly goal. And then about seven minutes into uh, the period, there was a really weak, I think it was slashing or interference called on Upshaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Wild went right back onto the power play. Uh, which was very hot. I don't think the stall goal was actually on the power play. Was it on that ensuing power play? Do you know? I didn't even remember uh, Eric Stahl scoring. But he did. He scored his eighth goal of the season, whether it was power play or not, uh, assisted by Dumba and Zucker. Oh, this is the one where he got his own little rebound. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Zucker had it at the line, passed across to Dumba. Uh, Dumba hit Stahl in front, and then Stahl took a shot, and Allen couldn't collect it, and Stahl found the second and just beat Allen, who had no chance. Uh, you're not seeing a lot of goals against Allen this year on the first shot, for one thing, generally. Mm-hmm. Or there's very few where he just looks like he couldn't handle himself at all. Um, I think he's been pretty good, despite his stats not being mind-blowing. Um, and then there was a tripping penalty against Ryan Sutter on Steen, uh, that at the time I was like, oh, gross, I don't want to see our power play even come out there, you know. Yeah. But uh, we actually scored on this power play and the next one. Uh, Jaden Schwartz scored his 13th goal of the season and second of the game, uh, assisted by Pareko and Tarasenko. Um, Pareko kind of found a pass from Tarasenko behind the net, and uh, he hit Tarasenko on the goalie's left, and then... Uh, Tarasenko got it to Schwartz, who really patiently waited out Dubnik, who somehow at this point was still in the game, and uh, beat him. It was a really pretty goal on Schwartz. It's one of those things that probably took a second and a half, but just because of how close he was to the goaltender, it felt like he had it on a stick for 90 seconds. Dubnik never strikes me as a very, um, I guess, athletic goalie when it Mm -hmm. comes to in close. Both on that Yaskin goal and that Schwartz goal, it looked like he didn't quite know if he should poke check it or not. Mm-hmm. And both times he decided, I'll just try and save it. And I don't know what the hell Schwartz did to get him to pretty much flop this time. But yeah, it was really good patience by him. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then Zucker was called for slashing against Schwartz, who was working really hard. Uh, the refs were just really tight all night. But for the most part, they were fairly consistent. And Sammy Blay got to get his redemption goal, the first of his career, hopefully the first of many, many uh, goals for him. Steen and Pareko assisted. Uh, Pareko hit Steen at the point, and Steen skated to the goalie's right and found Blay in front, who kind of one-timed it into the net. Uh, it was the first NHL goal for the six-rounder. Um, as Darren Pank said on the broadcast, nothing's ever come easily to a kid who was drafted in the sixth round of the NHL draft and was drafted somehow later than that in like the junior draft. Um, he was never a high prospect. He grew uh, like Jack Beanstalk. <laughs> That's part of why he's an NHL player now. Uh, but just I, I really am rooting for that kid to really succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but even... 
you know, nobody can ever take that goal away from him, even if, you know, if hopefully that's not. But even if that was all he ever did, that would still be great. Uh, the fans were given the Dubnik chant pretty hard right before this goal. Uh, you saw Stasny pick out the puck and give it to Boy. Um, and they ultimately gave Sammy Boy the Jimmy Roberts hat, the kind of goofy celebratory hat they give the best player of the game. Uh, so uh, good to see that. Um there was a cross-checking by Matt Dumba on Oscar Sundquist that was kind of a sour uh, sour grapes moment later in the game because the Wild have really conceded this one. Uh, some quick notes from the game. The, the Blues did win 6-3. They outshot the Wild 40-25. to uh, They finished with eight power plays and three goals, uh, but they didn't get the finish the last goal, or the last power play never ended because the game ended before that. Um, it was their first multi-goal game on the power play since the uh, October 25th when they went two out of three against Calgary. Uh, Wait, that was their second multi-goal power play game? Uh-huh. Yikes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, at least it was their second between those two games. Okay. They may have had one before then. Uh, but uh, they've just been five and five of thirty-eight between those two times. Uh, they're twenty-seventh in the NHL. Uh, the Wild won fifty-four percent of the faceoffs. Uh, they were two of three on the power plays. Both teams had shorthanded goals, as we mentioned. Uh, I think the Blues did a really nice job of surviving the onslaught and roaring back from the third period surge by the Wild. It was really touch and go then, but. Uh, one of the things, that, the critical moment in this play was when it was 4-3 to three and they gave us a power play, and we managed to convert that time, and the Wilds' penalty kill was very hot. Uh, so that was kind of a critical moment for us. Uh, you want to talk about the second night of the back-to-back statistics because the Blues have um, had really, really great uh, statistics on the back-to-back. Actually, let me interrupt you real quick because I have one more player point to make yeah. before we get into bigger. Um, but uh, just heard from a fan of the Wild, Hugh uh, was his name, at ManBearPig16 on Twitter. Uh, they're pretty mad at Dubnik right now. That was his fourth game in a row with four goals against, uh, and he's allowed six tonight after three straight shutouts before that. And this fan said, I don't get it. You will see it again next Saturday when he lets four more in. Uh, let's hope. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I just think um, well, I just think the Wild are kind of tumbling right now. And mm-hmm. I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is the right the person to ride a ship in choppy waters. <laughs> now, would you please tell us about the Blues on the back-to-back. Oh, I just know Lou Korak tweeted out that the Blues have won 12 straight of their second game on back-to-back games, including four this season, which makes them 19-2-0 in their past 21 second of back-to-backs so in that scenario. And that's um, a thousand times better than I thought they were. I mm-hmm. guess I didn't think they were bad, but I thought they were at least like 500. But that's really, really good. I think that shows some resiliency and as we'll kind of talk about, that kind of makes this weekend seem pretty good. That makes it very likely we beat the Wild on Saturday because we play the Kings on Friday. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting. And like uh, like you kind of mentioned, off off air, off live air, that uh, live air, <laughs> yeah, that we had talked about. The Blues have done a really good job this year, bouncing back from losses. The game before this, they got shut out by the Predators two nothing, mm-hmm. and they managed to come out here and spot of six on Minnesota. I think that's a really good 
just resiliency point of this team, something I don't think they had as much of in previous years. We haven't seen too many giant losing streaks from this team when Hitchcock was here, but there did seem to be times where we were shaken for long periods of time, and it doesn't seem to occur that much anymore, at least in this sort of young season, but Mm -hmm. it's nice to see. Yeah, agreed. I just think resiliency is a good general theme for the Blues. I think they've had a season where they have not, I mean, admittedly, they haven't lost many games in a row, or at all, overall, mm. but there have only been two stints where they even lost consecutive games. Um, I'm waiting for the schedule to load. Well, that's, it was uh, the two Florida games and yeah, the Islanders the two, and Calgary. And then that one week kind of period that went really bad. Yeah. But when you look at it all season, uh, we had that bad loss uh, against the Islanders 5-2. Uh, was that the one on Columbus Day? No, that was earlier. No, we won in we won uh, in this is New York this month. Let's go back to October. Uh, we had the two in Chicago that were real, or in Florida that were real bad. But that's when we came back and trounced the Blackhawks at home. Um, we lost to the Knights, but then we trounced the Flames five to two. Uh, we just keep winning and winning big after we lose games. Um, even before, you know, we didn't talk about much of the transition, but we finished last week's podcast on a sour note with mm. a real just flat loss to... What's I mean? They bounce uh, back. Yeah, but they keep bouncing back. And so um, one of the things I wanted to mention this quote right now, because I think Yo's in the right frame of mind, but he was asked about the significance of leading the league in the standings at the, this point, and he said... Ask me that question in about four months. We're happy that the we're happy with the start to the season. There is unfortunately an awful lot of games to be played, so we'll keep working on our game and keep trying to get better. But we've got to make the playoffs first. I know we're in a good spot right now, but you look at our division and teams are right there with us. Got to keep finding a way to win hockey games and keep finding a way to. Fu- and keep finding a way. I think I just wrote that twice. Uh, that's got to be our focus now, along with getting better. That's the number one priority for us. So, uh, yes, some of that is just what you say when you're asked that sort of question. But I do think that's the right mindset. And as we'll talk about, the Blues have some issues uh, maintaining focus at home. Oh. Um, do you want to do the Korea thing real quick before we touch on that? Um, no, I want to do the Korea thing last because I want to end on a positive, happy note, which only highlights the uh, dark abyss we're about to fall into. All right, so you went to the Anaheim game, Uh uh, and as a result, and because of your superb skill at doing it, we're going to have you take over the reins. Oh yeah! Us through this. Oh, I'm calling like I'm calling an audible (laughs) on this one because you know, um. They're, we're not gonna we're not gonna walk you through this crap. We're just not. We're not gonna walk you through. Let's see. Uh, what's his face scored? Then the other guy <laughs> scored. Uh, you got Vermette. He knocked it in with his hand, not intentionally. It went in. It was. The, it, was the, it, it, it is what it was. Uh, I reviewed it, but. Kevin Roy, Wah? It's a Wah. I think this one's Wah, the correct one. The correct one, sure. At least, though, because when I read it, I was like, not Derek Roy. Please not Derek Roy. I saw the last name on that jersey, and I was like, that guy could not be in this league, (laughs) and not on the Ducks, for the love of God. Um, He scored on the power play of Berglund. Berglund committed a penalty. Uh, Kevin Wah scored on the power play. Yeah. 
Uh, just a really good sort of one-timer. Did you say you thought Silverberg tipped it to him kind of in the slot? Yeah, it was really... Uh, it was kind of severe angle that the shot was taken. Insanely fast passing from person to person. Mm. The Blues did not look good in this game, but this was no. one of those goals that you look at and your eyes kind of flash like mm. they're in clockwork orange and you're just like, well, I don't know <laughs> what you were going to do there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the same kind of for the the second Antoine Vermette goal. Mm. It got a rebound just straight out to him. Yeah. And it does look kind of like a... On first look, it looks like a lazy Allen play because he really doesn't even slide over. He kind of just pivots his body like he's watching the puck go and like, <laughs> cool. But it's also just so fast, I can't expect him to yeah. fly over there. Yeah. But those were, and then Kyle Brodziak scored some goals at the end. <laughs> they were good. They were cool. They were actually really good goals. Um, I wasn't was the there. Person making an effort. So I'm kind of glad. I, I would have been happy if they won. I'd much prefer they won, but I'm a little happy they didn't because I left. <laughs> Because it was a late start. Yeah. It started at 8. Why did this Ridiculous. game start at 8? I think it's a little handshake between, like, hey, sometimes the West Coast starts a little early for us, which I don't think is true. I read someone yeah, say that. I'm like, I don't think happened. so. Uh, so we did it for them because we're less populous. I don't know. Uh-huh. But all that being said, um, it was not a great game by the Blues. And namely, it was just, I have it written down here, that the word to use for that game yesterday was passive. The whole game by that team was just passive. Mm. Uh, I don't remember us being on the forecheck almost ever. It seemed like their back check canceled out any forecheck we ever did. They looked super aggressive when we were in their zone. So it was just the Ducks checking us all the time, which Mm. I kind of alluded to earlier. Um, They're a bigger team than us. I think they're definitely a heavier team. And I don't think we can play that game. I think we got to stick to our speed no, game. It's weird how quickly we've transformed. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've got people like Portuzo and stuff, and I saw him trying to kind of throw the body a little bit. He actually had a few good rushes. It almost looked like someone whispered in his ear, mm-hmm. some dead relative, Robert, if they're not going <laughs> to win, you got to win. And he's like, yeah, Grandma. And so he <laughs> went in there and tried to do his best. Um, but the, the whole team just looked super passive, zero four check. Um, we were watching with the older woman and her son next to us, and we were just moaning over the fact that it was just long stretch pass after long stretch pass when we were already down 3 nothing. Mm. And I, I get the idea is they just want a quick one just to jolt the crowd and yeah. the team, but it's it's looking for a home run when what you want to do is get guys on base, and it's just like it's not going to work this way. Mm. Please, please stop. That's a great analogy. But uh, it's it's Which just none of our only hockey fans. Yeah, <laughs> does no one else no watch one baseball? No one watches baseball. <laughs> but uh, it's just the hallmark of like a lazy team. Yeah. Uh, Tarasenko and Norshen had a single shot on net. Granted, Which was Shen's second game in a row. Oh really? Shot. Ooh. But um, he's a bus. He's a, get that <laughs> guy out of here. Right back. Yeah. What do I get <laughs> trade for Latera? Tarasenko did have the shot off the crossbar, yeah. so he yeah. got close. Um, they're probably. <laughs> it all, it's weird to me that that doesn't count. Like when it hits part of the net, I get the idea, but I think the thought that frustrates me that if it hits yeah. the bottom of the crossbar, it can go in and count. Oh yeah, I think I the thought process is like opportunities or something. But. It's a goalie stat thing. Maybe it's not, but I've like retroactively explained to myself is that they can't if it's a shot. That's not a save. It's, then. Yeah, if oh, it's yeah. a shot, it can't count. Towards, towards the save, towards their save percentage, that so they just sense. count it as nothing, that which is 
silly but works. But uh, so yeah, that wasn't the greatest game from either of them. The Ducks did play a really good sort. Of, I don't want to say a trap game, but they'd set up in the neutral zone. You could see it was mm-hmm. one guy high, four guys back. They did a really good job clogging us up there. Um, just looked, we just looked inept, and then inept we can get to uh, special teams. We're over uh, four on the power play. Is that good? Uh, that's a great. Okay, thank. We're you. four four for six on the penalty kill, which is like a weird thing. We're like, that's not that's more than half, and that's <laughs> like, yeah, but that's two goals. <laughs> so so it's not great either. Um, I think somehow I guess if other teams just did worse because I think you said we were twenty seventh in the power play. Um, against Minnesota, so maybe teams just dropped more ab- above us. But we're 24th on the power play as of that game, or as of today. Th- yeah. 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 And then we're 20, 27th on the penalty kill. I can, it's really weird. I can kind of stomach the crappy power play because we've never been amazing at the power mm-hmm. play that I remember, but we've always been like a top 10 PK yeah. team. And 27th on the PK is just awful. Yeah, as I wrote down here, they were fifth last year. They were seventh the year before that, ninth before that, and eighth before that, dating back to 13, 14, when yeah. we weren't even good. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I mean. That's at least been kind of a hallmark, I guess, yeah. of our team. It's just been consistent. Maybe you'll get better with Jay Bomeister. Not I, that even. Yeah. Ninth or eighth is world beating. Nothing gets better with J-Po. <laughs> Here's what you have to learn to be a Blues fan. Okay, nothing gets better with that man. That shirt, you see that business shirt? That's what he should. J-Po, he's, <laughs> he's just an empty business shirt. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's we're we're at like the one uh, little stat they have where. If your power play percentage, this is awful for math, but works for hockey. If your power play percentage and your PK percentage add up to 100 or more, mm-hmm. you're doing something right. And right now, we add both together at 93.1, which is yikes. <laughs> at least we're not sub-90 like uh, Buffalo or whatever, but that's kind of scraping at the <laughs> bottom of the barrel. Puzzle, <laughs> at least we're not doing problem. crack. Uh, yeah. You want me to read this yo quote real quick? I don't want to. You you writing. might have mine, so go for you're it. Doing it brilliantly. Is it that we're not consistently hard enough? Well, yeah. You read it okay. Mike Yo said <laughs> to us on the phone. <laughs> it said for me right now we're not consistently hard enough to play against at home. It seems like we do it for a game and then we kind of back off for a game, which is true. Whether we just come to the rink with the assumption that the result is going to be our way, I'm not sure. We earn the position that we're in. We're in a good spot, but we have to remember that we earned it. And to keep the position that we're in, or to better it, we're going to have to earn that too. Right now, we're a little bit too inconsistent, and we'll have to fix that. Mm. At no point did he mention a mirror, which was great. <laughs> no one has a look at any sort of mirror yet. I don't we know if our captain said something. Flat, reflective <laughs> Have you looked in a puddle? Maybe an opaque puddle. Um, Ooh, it's, fancy word. Yeah, look that one up, kids. <laughs> Um, There's a Q in there. <laughs> I, I, I'm when glad. We're talking about the letters and our words, the podcast has gone on too long. <laughs> too, yeah. Let's dissect that word. Um, I'm glad he said that. You know, I've, I, I don't know what else the coach is going to say other than you're just out of crap, which is never great to hear from mm-hmm. any coach. But it's, I think that it starts with, it starts with consistency at home, but. More than that, I think I don't know who coaches our power play. God forbid it's Steve Ott. It can't be. I believe it it's is Daryl Sidor. <laughs> no, 
He's the defensive. I, he's coach. the penalty kill at least. Yeah. And I heard Craig Berube. I think. Oh, uh, why do I forget that Craig Berube is even around? Okay, Craig. I I saw you in the Thai restaurant. I wish I would have told you to fix the power play then. <laughs> it's my fault. The Blues Nation can blame me for I not. It's all Shattenkirk trying to foot his bill. Um, the power play is just. I'm sure this is. It's easy for us to see. There's zero movement. It's <laughs> yeah. a guy on the boards. Um, Tarasenko passes to Stasny, who's like behind the net or the side of the net. Mm-hmm. Then Stasny skates over to where Tarasenko was on the half boards. And Tarasenko skates to where Stasny was. And they stare at each other. And maybe they go to the point. <laughs> and like I have it down here. There's a point, And this is not for necessarily against either of these two defensemen. But there was a point in the power play yesterday where Dunn like dusts it off, which is another whole freaking issue that everyone has to just go, oh, I got the puck. One, two, three, four, before they shoot. I'm like, mm-hmm. just shoot the damn thing. Um, where Dunn had the puck, looked at Petrangelo for what felt like five seconds, and then slowly passed it to him. And this Ducks player, I swear to you, like looked back and forth between them like, huh? And just put the, <laughs> his stick down and blocked it. Like, I don't know what you think I think is going to happen, but I know where it's going. And he just skated out. And it was the most <laughs> ridiculous thing. The lady next to me like threw her arms up. Like, I just can't believe it. Uh, We're just so slow. Yeah. And I think I'm trying to think who's got the best one right now. I can't remember, but I know I've watched um, I've watched the Wild, which we just played, who actually have like a top ten power play. Real hot, yeah. They just move so much more. They owned us, yeah. even in that game. When the power plays, when a player doesn't have the puck, they're moving to a place where they can get it. Mm-hmm. When we have our power play, we got a guy with a puck looking at other players standing still. Yeah, Kyle Brodziak said, "I don't have this the quote in front of me, but mm-hmm. he talked about." And, of course, he was talking about the power penalty kill. God mm-hmm. forbid Kyle Prodzak <laughs> talk about our power play. But he just said basically the strategy hasn't changed mm-hmm. from last year in terms of the penalty kill. It's an effort thing, mm-hmm. which it's good that they know that, but then it's like start making the effort. I know. Like, that's on you then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt. But no, I, that, I was just going to be my next note is the with that. penalty kill is just – super duper passive mm-hmm. which just goes to their point of like uh i don't know get after him i think he had a quote or yo or somebody did too or they're just saying like it's more well you said it was more effort thing but they're saying it's more we're just letting them get in way too easy they set up immediately maybe a switch has been turned off in their brain where it's like they've reversed the thing oh. it's like on the penalty kill you want, or you should want to possess the puck uh-huh. and get it in deep where on the power play, you're trying to generate scoring chances, and I feel like they've somehow reversed this, where it's like, we want to hold the puck on a penalty kill, <laughs> yeah? And then, like, or we want to, like, yeah. shoot on a penalty kill. Like, yeah. no, no, no. In any case. Uh, yeah, that was a, a train wreck yeah. game. Yeah, I was just say, yeah, I just, I don't want to make it just this awful thing, because like we mentioned, uh, crappy game. So probably a bounce back mm-hmm. on Friday against the Kings. Yeah, and we Kings. can't lose the yeah, second, we game, lose the second game on the road. So we're guaranteeing it right here. Uh, two two game wins, two I wins feel this like weekend. It does feel like the wild thing is setting up for us just murder. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like I don't feel threatened by that team like last like, year yeah, at all. I feel like we might have broken their spirits with the like not not that we came back in that game, but it felt like we kind of did at the end. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Yeah, I just like be. how our victory in the uh, in the um, playoffs 
was them wild fans of us being super PO'd uh-huh. that they we beat them. And I swear no one here was like, Oh, that's right, take it wild. Everyone was like, Oh, who's that? Bye. Uh-huh. It I, felt like our when we hated Detroit and Detroit was like, Who are the blues? and just kept moving on, like we don't hate them. <laughs> like makes you hate them even more. Yeah. I agree. But so we'll see how they do. Well, I think they'll bounce back, but it's they got to straighten some things out, especially for a team that's like in first or second in the league that has a twenty fourth power play. That's a little weird. I agree. I don't. It's strange that our special teams are so bad and we're so good. I know. Like, I'm just like huh? our power. Our five on five. I had those statistics. It was like we're third in the league on both ends. Mm-hmm. Which still almost doesn't add up, um, but we're third in the league in goals for fifty six and goals against thirty eight in the five on five. But our penalty, our special teams are terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ready to talk about Paul Korea? I to end am. This starship destroyer. Is he of the here? <laughs> yes, Paul Korea will be joining us shortly. Uh, as Blues fans know, Paul Korea was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he got to come drop the puck, which I thought was a special moment uh, between his two of his, I think, only three former teams, and the other one was Nashville for like a mm-hmm. fart in church, and who cares? <laughs> uh, mostly the Ducks, though, to be fair. Yeah, he was pretty much <laughs> really a Ducks the Ducks flyer. and also the Blues there at the end. Um, I wanted to talk about him. This actually is brilliant that you put this at the end because uh, our hockey tweet of the re- week because he's here is this <laughs> article uh, from uh, uh, I don't want to butcher this because he was so polite to us. I'm going to go with Ed O'Devon, but it could be Ed O'Devon or something else. So I was going to uh, he's with the Japan Times. And I was going to super reach out on Twitter and be like, Ed, how do you pronounce your last name? Because I don't want to butcher this thing. And then I realized when I was going to do that, it was probably like 2 a.m. in Tokyo. <laughs> and I was like, not going to happen. So, Ed, if we butchered it, I'm sorry. Uh, but we <laughs> retweeted this and we'll tweet again the link to this article he wrote uh, talking with Korea uh, for the Japan Times. And it just shed a lot of light on Korea as a person just read a couple of uh, other um, thoughts on him. Let me just read some of the the accolades, and then I'll talk about kind of my personal relationship uh, with him. Not personal, you know. My <laughs> he's personal here. He's here. <laughs> uh, um, in any case, he, was, he scored nine hundred ninety eight points in nine hundred ninety eight career games. Uh, he was a really transformative player, I think, in terms of just changing the rule book on how players of his size were treated. He was like 5'10", 185. Oh, no, yeah. When he walked out there Very to drop the puck, person. my dad was like, I had no idea he was that tiny. Yeah, like, yep. yeah. I'm surprised your dad didn't because that was like always the rap on <laughs> That's him. That's his thing. Um, he, uh, and I think he really did. Fair, it's fair to say he kind of revolutionized the game for mm-hmm. guys of that size. Um, and there are a lot of great players, smaller players now, that can thank Paul Correa for them ever getting a look. Um, as I said, he, he had exactly a point per game in his career, which is fitting. Uh, he won silver with the Canada in the under-18 Junior World Cup, which was hosted in Japan, which is cool, uh, because as we'll discuss for a minute, he had uh, Japanese heritage, 
Uh, he captured the Hobie Baker Award, which has been mentioned twice in this podcast, <laughs> which is how you know a hockey podcast is legit. Uh, he won that as a freshman. It's the college award for most outstanding player. It's the hockey Heisman, basically. Uh, and I where do you go? Uh, Maine. He was a Maine oh, okay. black bear. And the article said uh, it was unprecedented for a freshman, which I assume meant literally no freshman had ever won it, although I did not look that up. Uh, and his main team also won the college championship uh, that year. He took silver in 94 with Team Canada at the Winter Olympics in uh, some unpronounceable place in Sweden. I wanted to say Lilligren. It can't be that simple. <laughs> right. uh, and then in 2002 at Salt Lake, uh, the Team Canada won gold uh, when he returned to the ice with Team Canada. He won back-to-back Lady Bings in 95-96 and 96-97. Never had more than 50 penalty minutes in his entire, uh, in any season. Oh, I thought you said his whole career. career. I was like, holy cow. Uh, um, and he had 15 seasons of under 50 uh, penalty minutes. I would have believed that. He was, <laughs> he was an all-star uh, in 96 and 97 and also 99 through 2003. Uh, he won every year there. Um, and he, uh, this I thought was really cool. He won four consecutive skills competition, puck control competitions, Mm -hmm. uh, from 99 to 2002. Uh, unfortunately for Korea, as bright as his star shone in the NHL, it could have shown even brighter had he not had his career shortened by, uh, former blue. Who? Scott Stevens. Oh, I wasn't going to name him specifically. Uh, but yes. Oh, um, it was. <laughs> specifically, um, I was going to name Patrick Coletta. So there are several people. Oh, but, boy. Uh, concussions is the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, that walking uh, concussion, six, Scott Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, six, I believe, concussions he had in his career. Wow, really? Yeah. And obviously, uh, concussions are a thing that all sports are learning about more and more. Well, I think we've learned about it. They're bad. It's bad to bruise your brain. (laughs) Who knew? Uh, But I think sports are doing a better job of controlling them and treating them seriously. Uh, But there was one particular one with the Blues. I think it was his last, maybe his last on-ice concussion. No, because you said Stevens did one too, right? I think that was the the big one in the finals, or I think it was the finals, Uh where he was out, and he came back and scored an amazing goal, which sadly... To this day, he says he does not remember. Yeah. Well, uh, this one I saw was Patrick Coletta of the then Sabres. Um, it's just, you remember when TJ Oshie'd beeline to... Uh, oh, yeah. What's his name? Rick Nash yeah. out of the box. It was this. Except, Wait, this dude beelined at Paul yeah, Correa? except Correa's back was turned, and the dude just elbowed him in the back of the head. I Good mean, God. Just, it was the and this grossest. And this was the last one, the, the late, latest I one. I think. I think wow. it was. I didn't check. But it was the grossest thing I'd ever. I mean, like, I almost Todd Bortuzzi level of just heinous activity. Uh, and... I read that he said um, in this interview, he said he literally was unconscious for 48 hours or like barely conscious. I just can't believe after a guy with that many, you know, you know who it is. Yeah. Like that you would just not do that. John John Davidson was interviewed extensively because he was the GM that brought him here. This was a piece from um, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. And if you have an athletic 
subscription, you should check it out. It had the video of this particular hit and a lot of great things about his time in St. Louis. But Davidson, who always struck me as a very affable guy, just ripped into Coletta. Even 15 years later, you know, whatever, probably not 15. <laughs> was this with the Blues when he got, okay, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. And he actually only missed six games, but it was just heinous. Uh, he did play his last game uh, with the uh, Blues. It was a 2-1 two, two, shootout loss to Nashville, I think, in 2010. Uh, he said, I had nothing but fond memories of playing there in St. Louis, and I'm so proud to have finished my career playing with the Blues. Just a fantastic organization, first class all the way. Uh, the only blight on Paul Correa's career is that he once proclaimed confidently that Patrick Bergwin would be a 100-point player, and he did not mean across his career. Paul, <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. Uh, but uh, there was a cool story that I read that Bergwin said, his first ever touch of a puck on the NHL ice was a feed Korea gave to him that resulted in basically an empty net goal. So his first ever, it was like an exhibition game, but the first time he ever touched the puck on the NHL oh, ice that's really was cool. like a feed from Korea. So, um, yeah, that's that's some of the you know numbers stuff. I just wanted to say, Paul Korea was one of my favorite players as a kid growing up, even before he was here. He's one of the earliest players I remember being aware of as a hockey player. Um, I, When I was a kid, I always gravitated towards the smaller, speedy guys in hockey. I don't know why. They're exciting. Uh, they are exciting, I guess. I loved Danny Breer, and I loved Paul Correa. And I remember distinctly him signing here um, for what I found out today was $6 million a season in like 2008 money, which is pretty considerable. Uh, and that was just one of the earliest things that got me tuned in to the uh, blues in general. That was around actually when the two of us met in mm -hmm. high school, and you were already a big blues fan at the time, but I was more of a you know Cardinals Rams fan. Care about the blues passively, but my family didn't really yeah. watch hockey very religiously, so I'd catch a game if it was on, but I wasn't seeking it out. And you know, meeting you. As well as, you know, and your excitement about it, as I'm sure other factors, but the Paul Korea signing was a big part that got me to ever watch the Blues. And, it, and this article with Jeremy Rutherford said basically the same thing, that in a really dark era of Blues hockey, it was a big deal oh, yeah. for him to sign him. He was, I mean, he got grabbed then yeah, 07-08 or in that summer. Mm -hmm. And the next year, 08-09, was when... Berglund and Oshie were rookies, so yeah. that was like kind of the turnaround of us not being just dog crap. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was a, a huge signing. I don't think anyone would have thought that the Blues, like the crappy, crappy, crappy Blues, were going to make that sort of deal. Yeah. And, yeah, he's always had been a fun player to watch. Mm -hmm. He was a fun player. Uh, I played a lot of, like, uh, hockey video games mm -hmm. and even just, like, NHL hits and stuff like that, and he was amazing in that. Mm -hmm. I, like, always played as a Ducks. I still like their great slash awful looking teal and <laughs> yeah, purple jerseys <laughs> yeah i'm like they're great but they're just terrible yeah. i don't know um and he was my it's kind of seems weird but he was my first like uh blues jersey i got mm -hmm. just like a little knockoff one but i think i had my wisdom teeth out or whatever and my dad does like a feel better thing just bought like a paul korea jersey mm -hmm. i still have one i wore last night and it was just i mean he got me excited about this team. Him and uh, his former uh, duck, duck, uh, 
player yeah. friend yeah. Yeah. friend yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also that's what I was going to get to their blues blues friend. Yeah, but yeah, I have both of those guys. <laughs> leaders and friends soul and concussion <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but they are both small guys both fun guys to watch mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird thing to see him i mean i know he's been retired for a while but it's just weird to see him hockey all fame and he didn't look very much older but yeah. just dropping the puck i was like man it's it kind of made me think about my journey as like a fan i was yeah. like man i've like this team and fans and this whole city in terms of how they support the Blues, have come like a long way. Yeah, it really has. And he, uh, just in wrapping up a couple of things I wanted to say about him, for one thing, nobody has a bad word to say about Paul Correa mm-hmm. that I could find. He's just a sweet man. He won the Lady Bing a couple of times. Um, it's really touching and hardening for me to see him get recognized by the NHL because a lot of one of these articles I read today talked about, it was just he just had, after he retired he just quit hockey mm-hmm. and i you can understand why with six concussions he said it's hard to go back to it's, hockey rinks yeah it's so and it, it's so incredible and you can under i mean i'm sure i don't know how six concussions could not affect you to this day i don't know that it does but you know he he was i think i think i can say safely he was very bitter the game of hockey uh, he had some resentment towards the Anaheim organization for kind of how their parting of ways went. Um, and he talked about in one article, he said he zipped up his hockey equipment bag and he didn't unzip it until he went to play the Hall of Fame game. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't stepped on an ice rink. And he said he had all this blues equipment, which is what he wore. You can see the pictures, has a blues logo on his helmet. Uh, he, and it was all rusted because it literally hadn't been moved in seven game, seven years. I do think it's cool. He said a lot of that's in the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame yeah, now. Yeah, because he donated. Yeah. I think that's really awesome. Uh, so it's just, I mean, it's great to see him plug back in after a long time of silence. Yeah. You can see he has so much warmth towards players and teammates and cities he played in, and the game is just yeah. It hurt him physically, literally. Yeah. And it's good to see the game recognize him and honor him as he deserves to be honored. Uh, you know, a, a point per game, literally over 969 games, is a Hall of Fame career. But yeah, no doubt. You almost wonder what might have been if he'd been healthier. healthier. Yeah. Um, I will say two things, though. One, you don't have to worry too much about him because he's supposedly super into surfing now, which yeah. is awesome. He loves surfing. And two, I really, 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 if you want to see like one of the best calls in hockey ever, it's a little dark just because it's him coming back from being pretty much knocked out uh-huh. in that Anaheim, New Jersey game. But uh, the call that gets the play-by-play call for when he scores that goal and he comes back is just absolutely amazing. That's mm-hmm. probably like just behind... They can't do you believe in miracles? Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely amazing. It's wonderful. We'll tweet out a video of that uh, as as long as I remember, which I will do my best to do. Um, and I do want to just make one more point, um, and this is simply this: uh, I learned today that uh, Paul Korea's grandfather was uh, interned as a Japanese. Canadian citizen, which I didn't even realize Canada had internment camps, mm-hmm. and that his father was actually born in an internment camp, um, which is kind of tangential to the point I'm trying to make, uh, except that 
uh, Korea talked about how there was no bitterness towards Canada from the family because, mm-hmm. I mean, just because they seem to be amazing. But the point <laughs> I'm trying to make is actually uh, this is a guy whose full name is Paul Tetsuhiko Korea. Uh, he has got Japanese heritage, and if the NHL were smart, my point, this is mm-hmm. the actual point, if they're really trying to reach out into Asia to mm. grow this game as they claim they are, even though they're not going to the Olympics. Uh, I would make Paul Korea an ambassador in a heartbeat if he would be willing to do it mm. and have him go when they travel to you know Japan and especially Japan, but travel into Asia. Mm. I mean, you got I don't, I'm not looking at the possibility, you know, or the yeah. options, but you have to think he's the foremost you know, Asian, Canadian, Asian American. I would guess unless there's someone under the radar. Um, And I just think the, the NHL would be wise to do that. I hope he continues to kind of warm to the game. I love, like I'd fall over myself if there were a Paul Korea bobblehead night, I'd pay a million dollars to (laughs) drop the puck. I'm talking about this now. I'm mad that I didn't get tickets and go, last night but uh just a great player awesome to see him honored obviously rightfully a duck in the hall of fame and Mm. will be remembered primarily as a duck we wouldn't want to steal that legacy but it was amazing to have him here in st louis and props to ed odovan i'm 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 just going for all of them uh (laughs) ed i'm so sorry uh he's not gonna make it to the end of this podcast no one has just say whatever you want (laughs) if you make it to the end of this give us a shout on twitter and we'll send you wake up (laughs) uh this has been a monster thank you for listening this far uh follow us on twitter at two guys no cups no cup with no S's. I haven't said that in a long time. Thank you for listening to this hulking beast of a podcast. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Later, y'all.